0: For whom is the fun house fun, perhaps for lovers for Ambrose, it is a place of fear and confusion. He has come to the seashore with his family for the holiday. The occasion of their visit is Independence Day, the most important secular holiday of the United States of America. A single straight underline is the manuscript manuscript mark for italic type, which in turn is the printed equivalent to oral emphasis of words and phrases, as well as the customary type for titles of complete works, not to mention. Italics are also employed in fiction stories, especially for outside intrusive or artificial voices, such as radio announcements, the text of telegrams and newspaper articles, etc. They should be used sparingly. If, pat- if, pas- if passages originally in Roman type are italicized by someone repeating them, it's customary to acknowledge the fact, italics mine. A lightning recap in Lost in the Funhouse by John Barth. A teenage boy has fantasies about a teenage girl and gets lost in a funhouse, and we all get a little lost, actually. And John Barth teaches us how to write, literally.
1: I am aware of the fact that you are possessing a little time.
0: And I have knowledge of the fact that we happen to have a little podcast.
1: This is Short Story Short Podcast, the podcast that asks the question. And this week, I am very excited because one, spring is in the air. No, it's not and it's a cold, cold, cold spring. So <laughs> yes. cold. Yes, it is. And the best thing to do in the cold is to take a cup of coffee in your hands, warm up that bowl of stew, and then read a good short story. What short story should I read with my stew and coffee? Uh,
0: with my uh, tea and water, which is what I actually have here, uh, you should read Lost in the Funhouse by John Barth. Or- should you?
1: Yeah, you should. This is a story I have read multiple times because I am a postmodernist. Uh, (laughs) It is the type of story that tedious people read and potentially tedious people write. (laughs) (laughs) I love and what's So shocking is that John Barth is a a force culturally, has deep, deep, deep roots within American letters that I think it kind of is like uh, Alan Moore when he was doing uh, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, is he had all this stuff rattling around inside his head that he had to get out and put into a context of what it means to him. And by doing so, he releases stories that are out of touch emotionally, but are deeply in touch intellectually. And that becomes a very difficult matter for me at times.
0: Well, I think in this case, I don't know if I would say out of touch emotionally because there is some emotion from our main character, Ambrose here. Uh, I feel like it's more like the emotional and the intellectual gets sort of intertwined in this very tangled way. That is, um, I, I feel possibly intentional and, and difficult to untangle, but it's like a cerebral emotion. If that makes any sense.
1: No, it makes total sense. What's interesting is that there is the central metaphor of the funhouse, And A funhouse instantly gives you connections to distortion, to uh, your perception being reality, to the idea that the writer through his writing is trying to deceive you the same way that a funhouse is designed to, to deceive you. And there's this whole concept of how it is impossible to perceive the state that you are in or that the characters in a story are in because the writer has written them, and you are receiving them, and it's that whole big thing of Schrodinger's cat. And po- apparently, there's some poison. Uh, I don't know how that works. It's all sciency.
0: Yeah, it's this is very much. I mean, the postmodernism is there right from the beginning. That that section I read uh, for the introduction, right there you know, it's, it immediately starts sort of teaching you how to write and sort of the, some of the more technical details like how to use italics and such. And it's, it's bathing in postmodernism. It's so very meta um, in that it, the story is constantly commenting on itself as though it's, it's almost as though a writing teacher is using the story for, uh, as a teaching tool, but actually inserting those bits of lecture into the story.
1: And I will disagree with you on that. I don't think that that the note on italics was for the writer. I think it's for the reader. And I think it's telling the reader, this is how much smarter I am than you.
0: (laughs) I agree that it's for the reader. It's always for the reader. but it's, it, the, I, I feel like the mode is almost like not, I don't know how to explain what I want to explain, which is why I'm such a fantastic writer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's basically like if I were to take the story, all right, and I were to rip out all of the, the pedantic, you know, here's what italics are for. Uh, Here is what, you know, you should do with the senses and all that stuff rip all that stuff out and then stand in front of a class and say, okay, what are all the things I could use in this story to teach them various aspects of writing? Then I would just be inserting everything else back in that I ripped out. All the, all the, <laughs> we'll just go ahead and call it pedantry. Um, <laughs> because we're, we're, we're truth tellers here. We're, <laughs> we're not messing around. So yeah, it just basically feels like that constant commentary on itself. Yeah, it is for the reader but it's done in that sort of distant way of I'm going to teach you. And of course, if somebody is planning on teaching you, then yeah, they definitely think they're smarter than you.
1: And I think the the interesting force here is that as a story itself, there's actually quite a bit there that you could play with without going into those depths. It'd be half as long, but there are sort of great interactions with and this is one of those cases where this is a writer of ideas it's not paragraphs it's not sentences it's ideas and he inserts ideas like a ADD rattled uh labrador retriever uh, (laughs) and they bounce off each other at times and at times it's literally a dennis miller-esque insertion um (laughs) into a a piece of actually where there was a flow of idea of how this story is actually moving and the story moves in such an interesting way (laughs) that you can read it and, oh, I can just gloss over the parts that are actually talking about the characters in this story. And you'll get this idea of this is how this story and all stories, because in postmodernism, all stories represent all stories, uh, is how it all comes together to build to a, meaning i guess is the best way to put it he's actually mostly here talking about form when he is doing his asides instead of grander picture meaning but if you just read it and glossed over the parts that are all the you know this is how italics work this is why characterization is blah 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 you actually get something that means something and what it means is that uh magda is the best character ever <laughs> i
0: agree with you but i would like to hear your reasoning
1: i think it is <laughs> because every time i am finding myself reading portions that are that not tedious parts but the the nitty-gritty postmodernist parts she's what i'm going back to uh what is it he calls her uh Untractably uh, exquisite is, that what is? <laughs> um, and there's there's sort of this idea that she's the only human in this story.
0: I, I agree with you on that. Yeah, although I could deal with John Barth maybe saying that she's exceedingly well developed for her age a few a few less times that would work. Yeah,
1: that's a that's an issue.
0: <laughs> yeah. I felt like I'd stumbled into the, uh, the men writing women subreddit where we all poke fun of how you all write about us. Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a good time. So, yeah, but it, that, that repetition there, that would be another thing that John Barth could have done is he, he never mm-hmm. comments on the use of repetition to, to drive a point home or to like kind of given a certain undercurrent or to embed a theme uh, in this case, the theme would be uh, perv, but <laughs> I'm sorry, but for that yeah. particular aspect, for that particular aspect, and, but he, that he could at some point have used that, that, you know, she was exceedingly well-developed and then said, some writers may use repetition to blah, 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 blah. And mm-hmm. that could have been a, just yet another example of this sort of meta commentary on the, the writing itself but he didn't. Yeah. He just kept on talking about her boobs in that, that way.
1: And he also could have explained the semicolon, which then meant I could have written off this story on my taxes. Uh,
0: <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I am I have an example of a quote here where I he used a semicolon correctly, but in the following sentence he used, I wasn't really a, approving his use of the colon, which again, <laughs> could be purposeful you don't know with this story what is on purpose and what is not because there is sometimes when a sentence just ends and it's incomplete there are sometimes when words are repeated right in a row or ideas are repeated right in a row and you feel like this is almost unedited but that's or it's edited to look like it's unedited in in that sort of
1: way this is an exceptionally structured piece and I haven't read the rest of uh, Lost in the Funhouse House yet. Uh, I keep meaning to, and then I realize I like life. Um, there is <laughs> this, I felt like every time I'm going through this, I am hitting walls that are put up specifically to stop me reading in that area and pay attention to the next thing.
0: Yeah, the, the story is the fun house, and we're just all lost in it.
1: How dare you get metaphorical?
0: <laughs> I mean, with this story of all stories, I think I need to. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think there's some, there is some beautiful writing in it. There's some very headspace writing in it, of course, but it's very indicative of the writing that we were seeing in the late 60s from the likes of John Barth. A little, we kind of got some of that also from Cheever at the end. Uh, in very late 70s, early 60s, and Bartlemy, of course. Uh, all of these sort of developing greater narrative technique within this postmodernist ideal.
0: And he still also manages to have moments where I just kind of like chuckled or, or giggled, and it, it's, it's serious, but it's not. Um, mm-hmm. For instance, there is a, a speech that I marked where he says... Uh, Ambrose is talking about going on the funhouse. I warn you, I've been through it before, he added, laughing easily. But I reckon we can manage somehow. The important thing to remember, after all, is that it's meant to be a funhouse, that is, a place of amusement. If people really got lost or injured or too badly frightened and if the owner to go out of business, there'd even be lawsuits. No character in a work of fiction can make a speech like this long without interruption or acknowledgement from the other characters. And then immediately there's interruption and acknowledgement. And that the thing is, is that the commentary... What made me giggle is that the commentary is actually part of the speech. I don't know why that amuses me. <laughs> it's, I don't know why.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. It's very Dan Harmon-esque. This oh. idea that you can put in your discussion of what you're discussing within the discussion. And what's interesting is when, is taking these inputs from uh, actually mostly short fiction, there wasn't a lot of great novel-length postmodern fiction that was this blatant. Because um, at 200 pages, this would be terrible. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: but he synthesized it and added the comedic elements that were always there. Because John Barth is funny. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. And when you can take that and amp it up, it becomes more digestible to a more general public. So, you know, when nerds like me are laughing at community and Rick and Morty, uh, it's the elements of metatextualism that are subtly shaded over one another. Here, they're blatantly set out there, white against black, contrast 100. Um, It's just right there.
0: You know, I would have never thought to compare John Barth and Dan Harmon but it is kind of the same yeah it, it's a continuation of that same school and I never even realized it huh.
1: You're welcome.
0: <laughs> Thank you and by the way, you are correct.
1: Oh, I love America.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Tables have turned.
1: <laughs> yes, so
0: got anything else on this one. Um. I kind of feel like at the end. Okay, I have two things actually. All right, first, before I get to the end actually. I you you mentioned before we were we were, you know, on the air. Um you mentioned that you had read this and you uh, a lot of classes because you had a lot of postmodern uh, professors and teachers and I actually commented uh, at the very beginning that the the aspect of The story where John Barth is essentially teaching you how to write in a way, um, or or at least you know, in in a very uh, broad and widely used way, um, that he is thus ensuring the story would be part of the canon and read in every creative writing class. He basically, you know, in a sneaky way, he he made the story perpetuate by doing that. (laughs) Because what writing professor could resist, honestly?
1: I kind of felt like there was a, uh, hey, Iowa, pay attention sticker on the top of this one. <laughs>
0: ah, yes, absolutely. And then, okay, so the ending. I just want to real quick touch on the ending. Um, and also the fact that I love that there's an actual diagram of a Freitag's triangle. That's fantastic. Uh, so <laughs> I feel like, the, 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 my comment that the story is the fun house and we're all lost in it. In that sense, I feel like Ambrose is the writer and he's also getting lost in the, in the prose and the fun house and it just sort of wraps in on itself that we're all lost together.
1: Oh, and you know what? That makes it a little less lonely.
0: It does, yeah. We may be lost, but we're lost together and that's all I have. <laughs>
1: excellent well hey hey christy hey hey yes this is the portion of the podcast where i say what should we read next week
0: this is that portion of the podcast and it's also the portion of the podcast where i respond with in this case like a bowl in a china shop which is by a person who wrote it uh uh okay wait i know this hillary lichter uh, I'm trying not to go to the link so that I don't like run out of New Yorker articles. It's on the New Yorker. <laughs> um, so I was like, I'm either gonna either they name it in the uh, the search results or I'm not going to name the author. This is how it's going to go. And nobody's died. My phone just fell onto the floor. We're all good. <laughs> I don't know if that resounded through the microphone
1: or not. It did. And that's, that's the way we end this because this has been short story.
0: Short podcast.